Fanon. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action! Happy day, everyone. This is Restaurant Fiction. My name is Monis Rose, and what we do on Restaurant Fiction is we talk about every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film, no matter how long it takes. And there are some fictional restaurants, actually, that uh, need another look-see, a second opinion. They're just that good. And one of those fictional restaurants is actually featured in the movie Big Night. You see, uh, it is one of the quintessential fictional restaurant food movies out there. Uh, for those who have not ever seen it, please do yourselves a solid and see it, no matter if you are a foodie or not. It is also just a great movie about family, about love, and about the love of food. Anyway, my name is once again Monis Rose, and we brought on probably someone who is much more articulate uh, than us about Big Night and about the fictional restaurant Big Night Paradise. And his name is Simon Majumdar. Now, who is Simon Majumdar? Well, first and foremost, I met Simon personally on the filming of Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions Season 3. That's right, all the way up in Flavortown. And uh, where is Simon? Currently, you can actually watch him live. Well, not live. I mean... You know, it's been taped and edited, but I mean, new episodes is what I'm saying. You can watch him as a commentator, as a sideline play-by-play reporter, if you will, on season three of Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions, which is on the Food Network. Also, Simon does many, many... uh, shows on the Food Network. He also has a very, very popular podcast called Eat My Globe, which is about to start. He is about to start season eight. So Eat My Globe, things you didn't know, you didn't know about food. And also, he is a book author. He is a book author, uh, a couple, a few awesome, awesome culinary books out there. I mean, Simon does it all. He travels, he writes, he talks about food. He is also a food critic, but most importantly, he knows paradise. He knows big night more than us, more than anyone we've ever met. And we wanted to pick his brain. This is part one. Part two will be coming up and you'll get to know even Simon a little bit more of how awesome of an individual, a man, just a human being he is. Anyway, Let's get started. Here is the review of Paradise from Big Night and our little chit-chat with Simon. Go. Excellent. All right. Without any further ado, uh, guys, gals out there, you know, restaurant fiction goes deep. We we have a history. We have a lineage. And we pulled out an old review, an old review from the 50s, an old review of the 50s of an Italian joint. But this Italian joint is uh, an East Coast Italian joint, but this is not your Mama Leone's Italian joint. Mama Leone's, uh, for those, you know, who remember, you know, it transformed. It was your uh, spaghetti and meatballs, Chianti bottles, you know, red tablecloth, red checkered tablecloth type of place. This is not that. This place is called Paradise, and this place is region-specific. And that's what we're talking about. It's off of the exit 93 in New Jersey. And when we went, when Restaurant Fiction went, when we dined, 
we had a feast. We had a, a tasting menu feast and it was coursed out. Uh, what are we what are we looking? What are we eating at? Well, first of all, we have a carpaccio, you know, and this is during the time in the 1950s when uh, this sort of thing, it's not really a custom, you know, nowadays people expect this or maybe they don't expect it, but they're familiar uh, back in what, say, 1953, when the finest car in America was a Cadillac, carpaccio was unusual, you know, getting actual buffalo mozzarella and a caprese salad, which was also one of the courses, was unusual. You know, I think they were, uh, people were only familiar was with the minestrone soup, which was done just right. It was simple yet elegant. A little too much carrots for us, but still fine. You know, all of the risottos, they not only had a white risotto, which was filled with, you know, the truffles and the butter and the wine, but they also had a green risotto with the peas and the mint and also a red risotto, which we felt it represented the Italian flag. Now, the coup de gras dish. Now, those those dishes were all spun, but the coup de gras was actually not the end. It wasn't even the uh, the third act. It was more closer to the beginning. That was the tempano. For those who are not familiar, it is literally a timpani drum made of dough, and it's stuffed with uh, it's stuffed with uh, meatballs and stuffed with hand rolled garganelli pasta and mozzarella and tomatoes. We're not done yet. You see, now it's the vegetables. We eat the roasted broccolini. We eat the tender artichokes, the potato tart, which is just incredible, and the sautéed, you know, and and also the beet salad. Uh, finally, we actually get to the main course, you know, because after the pasta, the main course, the roasted fish. It's not branzino; it's actually trout. You know, there is a whole suckling pig, indeed, which is definitely succulent. And finally, dessert. And dessert is as simple as you can get, which is just some coffee and cigarettes with a little Amaro. Now, in all due respect, uh, and even now, and even now when I when we tell our reviewers, it is not really polite to fall asleep at the table, but in this case, in paradise, it is the highest of compliments. All right, that is our little quick review, our little breakdown of <laughs> Paradise. Paradise is the main restaurant um, that is owned and operated by the characters Segundo and Primo. We are talking to uh, TV personality. We are talking to uh, food critic, uh, cookbook author, TV um, uh, chef in his own right, uh, Simon Majumdar. Simon, what was your take on Paradise? What are your thoughts? What would you like to add, criticize? The floor is yours. Um, <clears throat> well, for me, I think when you talk about uh, Big Night and you talk about Paradise, uh, what you're talking about is a prism through which a family sees food. And for me, that's always been the most important thing for me. So one of the reasons why the film is probably my favorite food film ever and why the the restaurant is so important is because the two personalities in it are two brothers. I have an older brother who I, I call Hermano, well, using the Spanish side, Hermano Primero, and I'm Hermano Segundo. And that's how when we wrote a blog many, many years ago, food blog that did very well, that's how we described ourselves. So we put this reference even to it many, many years going back, you know, going back to the beginning of the, the 2000s. So we always had reference to it. What I love about paradise is it's so unfiltered it's so unapologetic so they basically are two brothers who go into a town where they are the exact opposite of everything else that's going on there and that's not a criticism of what else is going on there we can talk about that later but what they're doing is something that is spectacularly kind of different 
And they're doing that in face of all the opposition of everyone who might eat there, which is why the place, you know, kind of seems to have tumbleweeds blowing across it while all the other restaurants nearby are completely packed. But they're so unapologetic about it, whether that's a good business decision. Again, we could talk about, but the food is of its time absolutely authentic. I, I'm not a great fan of using that word authenticity, but I think here you could definitely use it. They brought it with them. They they brought it with them from family, you know, from people who have restaurants in Rome and relatives that they know there. You know, and there's still that tension about whether they want to be there in their homeland or they want to bring this restaurant to you know the American dream where they can make money. And so for me, I just love sometimes love restaurants that are going to be very unapologetic, no filters. They do what they do. Now, the only trouble with that is that those restaurants aren't around terribly long because they're often hugely bad business decisions. And so from a food critic point of view, I often have a point where I'm sitting there enjoying extraordinary food, the great risottos, you know, pastas, not the timpano, because I just think it's a horrible idea and I hate it and I just would never want to eat it. But I think there's the, that you sit there going, I better enjoy this now because it may not be here next week. And I find that often, and I've, I've had it happen to me where I've gone into a restaurant I really loved, and then I go back to do my second or third visit or attempt to, and it's gone because, you know, because the idea just didn't play. And so what, what you get then, and I think this is something that we see all the time in restaurant reviewing and in restaurants anyway, is this balance between getting something that will play to an audience and something that will appease the kind of ego or the, the kind of the training of the chef. And I think you get that in paradise, as it were. But what you get outside of that, of course, is this incredible family dynamic. And I've experienced both of those. So I, I just think from that point of view, it's great. The food, I think, and we'll talk again, I think we'll talk about this, but the food would struggle now. We often think of Italian food, I think sometimes as having ossified. And so we look at this and go, oh, yes, it'll be all that. Well, you know, Italian food has changed as much as French and Spanish. And, you know, every food has changed over the years. Just think about, you know, eating in America in the 50s and eating now. So I think from that point of view, it'd be interesting, you know, if paradise reopened now, because it would have to be very different. But I love that scene. I love I love this being in that space. When you watch a fictional food restaurant, just being in that space is something that's so extraordinary. And you do, you just feel like you're kind of being hugged by that restaurant. I love it. You know, uh, I, thank you for that answer. We're going to break, break that down a bit, Simon. So yeah. you started your answer with, uh, you know, stating, you know, this relationship with your own brother and how you called each other, you know, Segundo and Primo. So say you and your brother worked at Paradise instead of actually, instead of Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub, it was you and your brother. Who is Primo? Who is Segundo? Who is the chef? Who is the maitre d'? Give me that <laughs> dynamic. Well, I think my, my elder brother, who is in the Spanish that we use, Hermano Primero, He'd he'd be in the kitchen. He's very exact. He's very particular. He's very, ex, I mean, extraordinary palate, extraordinary with wines and food. Travels all over the world. He literally just got back from Paris. I think he lives in London. So he would be in the kitchen. I'd be the one who would try and try and make a business out of this. I'd be the one trying to kind of balance between 
the extraordinary talents of the the person in the kitchen and the person trying to serve it. And it is like just, you know, almost you see with Secundo here, just going, make make the damn meatballs, you know. We we need to make some money. Other and and so I think that's where I would be. I'd be loving the food and wanting to eat the authentic food, but understanding that you need to kind of compromise that at some points. Otherwise, there's no point having a restaurant that's going to be open a week. What we never really seem to get anymore is we do, we don't get a balance anymore. You know, when when Paradise was open, the maitre d in every place was in charge, very much so. And the chefs often didn't even get noticed in that sense. Now we've gone too far the other way. We're we're very much at the you know uh, under the kind of oversee of the chefs and the, and they're that they're in charge and and what you need is a real balance. What you need is someone to understand that making amazing food is no good if no one buys it. It's like a tree falling in the in the woods, you know. Uh, but what you need is a real balance, and and I think that's what we see in Big Night. We just see a complete imbalance between what was going on. We mentioned the first meal with this risotto scene. We mentioned the actual main, the main meal with the timpano which we do want to talk about later because I want to know why you're not going to eat timpano. But I mean, but but also the the last scene of the film, the last scene is the two brothers are literally breaking bread together. Why is this scene so important? Especially, you know, um, you have break, broken bread with people all across America, all across the world. You know, your books are about that. Why is this scene so important? Well, I think in the end, that scene to me is the, the most important scene in the entire film because what you see is despite all of their business arguments and despite all of their emotional arguments and despite all of the all of the craziness going on with Minnie Driver and Isabella Rossellini and all of this, in the end, it'll all come down to that very quiet moment where they're having scrambled eggs and they're sitting there and they are and they literally sit there almost in silence just having this dish. And in the end, what that means, and it, it does to me with food, it's kind of almost that uh, Mother Julian of Norwich thing. Mother Julian of Norwich was a Christian mystic of the 11th century who wrote a book, was literally in, in uh, a hermitage for 20 years and came out and wrote, and all she, she wrote this book called Revelations of Divine Love. But what it basically boiled down to was a, a mantra of hers, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And what that means is after all of the chaos and after all of the noise and after all of this, that simple something, in this case, a bite of some lovely eggs prepared with none of the chaos of the meal before is what's going to bring them back together. And so I'm a great believer that food is one of the, or sharing a meal is one of the few times when you have to be civil. You know, I'm a very, I'm, I'm a Democrat. I'm a very liberal person. I'm probably, you know, even by LA stands, I'm a very liberal person. But I can sit down with people in, you know, Alabama or Arkansas or different, very different, politically different areas. And yet, once you have a meal, I can have a perfectly civil conversation because I have a saying, you, you can't have an argument with a mouthful of ribs. So by having a great meal with someone who's a different religion or a different, Politically, or, or you know, all kinds of things, you can actually end up sharing a conversation. 
And I've done it with people in different languages where we just point and we smile and, you know, on trains and all kinds of things. And so meals bringing you together are kind of one of the graces we have in this world. And I think that very end point to me for all that went before it and all that I love about uh, Big Night, that bit at the end is, is what sums it all up. You know, usually the question is, you know, what advice would you give a 30-year-old or what advice would you give this person? Okay, well, here's a person, there's a eager, smart, driven person who wants to do what you do. You want to, they want to eat, they want to write, they want to travel the world, they want to share it with the world and they want to get paid for it. Well, say this person comes to you, Simon, and they say, I, I want to do what you do, but what advice like, should I ignore? Well, this, this may sound like an interesting one, given that in a way, I have followed my kind of dream to do what I do now, but I'm I'm I really don't like that notion of oh give everything up and follow your dream and go and do, because what what that doesn't tell people is that you need to, if you're going to do something different, just as I did with this yeah I was a, first of all I was training to be an Anglican priest which is a long time ago but then uh, I ended up as a book publisher and was successful. But then, you know, many years ago now, coming 15, coming towards 20, I, I got to the point where I was like, I need to change this. I could have just given up and gone off on the road. and, and just, But what I did is I made a plan. Changing your career takes, takes time, takes plans. Go and educate yourself. Go and um, depends. It doesn't matter what decision it is, whatever you're going to do. You need to build in plans while you're doing something else to support yourself. And so the, the, the kind of advice that I always say to people is, look, I, I basically stayed for another five years in publishing where I was earning a good amount of money and saved, you know, quite frankly, a, a big amount of money that allowed me when I did get to this point to go, I'm leaving now. I'm going off around the world to write my first book, which was Eat My Globe. And when I come home, I'm going to have enough money in the bank that I can spend six months trying to find another job. I didn't know what that job was going to be. I didn't know that it was going to turn out me meeting my now wife and moving to the United States and someone at Food Network, I think, or my uh, and my manager reading my book and someone inviting me to be on Next Science Chef. That, that was a surprise. But I did the due diligence. I did all the hard work beforehand. So I knew I had time to go and look for that. And I think what people sometimes worry is they read these articles in magazines, go, go follow your dream. And they've got no savings. They've got nothing. And they basically, you know, just throw everything in. And what life's, life's a marathon, not a sprint. And I say to people, if they want to do this, you know, people often say to me, well, what should I do if I want to learn how to write about travel? I go, well, write, start a blog. You know, I start. I had one of the very first early with my brother, the first early food blogs, Dos Hermanos. It's still out there. So go and find somewhere to write. It doesn't matter if no one's reading it. What you're doing is practicing. It's like exercising or practicing on the piano. It doesn't matter if no one's in the room. You're getting better. So go and write. Then start writing about, you talked about developing a voice. Start writing about the things that really inspire you. Otherwise, you'll then just become a hack who writes about anything start finding the things that inspire you, then start approaching people with a certain amount of stuff. And, you know, much as I hate to say it, and I wouldn't do it now because I, you know, I've earned the right not to, sometimes you do have to do things just for the byline. So you get something in print, you get something in 
uh, yeah, in, in in a magazine. You go, oh, I wrote some, you know, I did it for a couple of things for the Times of London. And then they got such a good response. They came to me and said, we're going to pay you some, we're going to pay you now for this. And it started small and it got bigger. And then I ended up writing for The Guardian and various other things. And I got paid. And even now when people come to me, I go, I don't mind what it is that you're offering me to write for something, but I but I get paid. And it's it doesn't matter what their budget is. It could be very small, but I go, what you have to do is accept that people, creative people need to get paid. You know, uh, and I think that's the thing, but you have to build up a reason why you would want to do that. Yeah, yes. Quite frankly, I travel around the world when uh, under normal circumstances, and I write about it. And, but I think I've earned the right now of doing that over many years. And what I think sometimes people forget is that you you do need to sometimes kind of earn the right to be that. And that's true with chefs. You know, someone goes, "Oh, well, I could be head chef of this restaurant," and they're twenty three or twenty four, and they might have the talent. But there's a lot more to running a restaurant than just having the talent. There's a you've got to understand all the the failure. Failure is a great is a great learning experience. And trust me, yeah, I've I've had you know I'm a freelance television person. I've had you know more rejects than a bad heart transplant, just because that's that's life, you know. And you have to, and it's not nice, but you have to get used to it. So now it's it's less than it was when I first started. And it's saying when you get when I do book ideas and they get turned down by the publisher and you just go, I spent a huge amount of time putting this together and now nothing. But you learn from it. And I think sometimes again, we we kind of I think maybe it might be the society now, but we expect everything to come to us without putting in that kind of due diligence. All right. Simon, uh, what question am I not asking? I think it's worth saying that if people want to see more of me doing what I do. Definitely check in on Tournament of Champions on uh, Food Network and Discovery Channel Plus. Every Sunday, they're going to be seeing me really doing what I do. I'm commentating on the food. For those who don't know Tournament of Champions, let's explain it. To me, it's it's kind of like Mar- I'm, I'm trying to say this as if I know what March Madness is, but I don't. But I, I'll. this is how people explain it to me. I don't know anything about American sport. But, but it's basically East and West. Chefs from both sides, 32 chefs for this new season's Tournament Champions 3. They're going to compete against each other. They're going to get down to two final people, and then they're going to cook against each other. What makes this show really different, and I know it's something the guy really thought about, is it's completely blind judging. So the judges will come in who are absolutely the top of top judges. The chefs are incredible, but they don't get to describe their dishes. So I, with my colleague, Justin Warner, I get to write down what the dishes are, chat to the chefs while they're cooking, which is often difficult because it's stressful for them. But we get it. And then we describe it to the judges. And then the judges will judge it based on our description and eating the food in front of them. So it's a really unique cooking competition. So if anyone's looking for something just really different, really new, I honestly say it's the, uh, and I will say it now, it's the best cooking competition I've ever been involved in. I think it's incredible. I love doing it. So if people get a chance, they should definitely go and watch Tournament of Champions, which by the time this comes out will be a couple of weeks in, but people can go and watch the early episodes and see what we're up to. Um, and that, I mean, from my point of view, yeah, that's it. I, I love talking about this. I love talking about the films you've made me really, I'm obviously going to have to go and watch Big Night again because it's it's constantly on there. It's what I love about it. It's always on. Yeah, I've got it on however many different streaming channels. You have to try really hard to fail 
to find Big Night on one of your streaming channels if you want to go and watch it. So do go and watch it because it will be amazing. You know, you already mentioned season three of Tournament of Champions. Where else can people find you? You know, this is now your time to shine. Any uh, <laughs> shout outs you want? The floor is yours. Thank you. Well, uh, in terms of chatting to me, although after listening to this, they probably heard far too much of me, but there you go. But uh, you can go on at Simon Majumda on everything. I'm even on TikTok where I think I am at the real Simon Majumda. I don't know if someone, there was someone else on there called Simon Majumda. Seems unlikely, but there you go. And so I, it's it's me that answers. So, you know, I, I answer all my questions. I always, I always try and respond to everyone. I always try, you know, even people who are sometimes a little bit mean, um, but I try and respond uh, to everyone. And then, Again, if people are interested in the food history side of it, do go and look out uh, Eat My Globe. As I said, I'm just writing season eight now. We'll go and record that very, very soon. Uh, interviewing, like I said, people like Jacques Pepin, but you can go listen to all the other interviews and all the other essays, as it were, My where I talk about uh, we just did some on the history of Christmas. We did the history of Christmas food. We did just before Christmas was our last season. Yeah, so there's all kinds of interesting things. And again, we love answering questions on that because food history really informs who we are now. Yeah, the things that we look around, whether you, you know, I notice you've got, was it gin and you've got bourbon and you've got stuff behind you in your, but gin has the most incredible history. It was the crack cocaine of 17th century London. You know, I mean, there's just great stories to be told about food and drink in our, in, how who we are as people. So uh, I love telling those stories. So that's in the end, above everything else, hopefully I'm just a good storyteller. Simon, thank you for that awesome chit chat. You know, we're actually going to have to end it here, guys. I am sorry because... Anyway, this whole awesome one-hour conversation was too good, and we had to cut it into two parts. So hold your breaths, you know, sit down, buckle up, because part two, which is coming up, no matter when you see it, it's coming up soon, and it's going to be fantastic. Probably the enhancement that part one was already fucking awesome. Well, guess what? Part two is going to be even better. I don't know how. I don't know why. It just is. All right, so Simon already has given his own shout-outs, his own plugs. I think the most three most important things, first of all, listen to his podcast. It's called Eat My Globe. Um, it, you know, the new season is coming out, season eight. He has a wide variety of guests. He has a wide variety of topics, and he goes deep, deep, deep on food history, and it really shows I mean, when you hear him, there is love. There is passion and there is, it, I mean, he's one of the most articulate people we've ever met. So thank you for that. Also watch him on season three of Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions, which is on the Food Network. Another plug. Anyway, our editor, our music supervisor, our creative consultant, his name is... Chris J. Hudson. That's right. If you love the music, if you need a project out there that needs to be edited, whether it be a music video, whether it be a song, whether it be a podcast, whether it be, you know, he, he pretty much does it all. I mean, he also has the voice of God. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like Morgan Freeman, yes, had the voice of God. Well, guess what? Chris J. Hudson also. So if you want to 
reach out to Chris J. Hudson. His website is chrisjhudsonacting.com. Give him a shout out. Give him a call. He'd love to hear from you. We love what he does for restaurant fiction day in and day out. So thank you, Chris. And also a little shout out for our main sponsor. Our main sponsor is a cheesecake company, a Los Angeles cheesecake company. Yes, they only do one cheesecake, but they are pretty much the only one ever imaginable that does Newark cheesecake the way it was meant to be made, the way it was meant to be eaten. It is probably the best cheesecake ever imaginable. It's called the 1919 Cheesecake. Right now, they are only on Instagram, so DM them. It's at the 1919 Cheesecake. I know these are a lot of shout-outs. Thank you for your patience. You can cut out at any time and wait for part two with Simon Majumdar. Nothing makes sense, guys, and nothing ever does. Cut two. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Day.